my hope would be to have that experience of reading a psalm and all of a sudden you feel different. Mm. Something has happened where you have strength that you didn't have before. That is the inspiration of Scripture in action. It's an ongoing conversation with a personal God. Sometimes we miss that. We're studying a book, and there's a place for that. Yeah. But in terms of the life of faith, we are receiving the life breath of God, and we are in conversation. Welcome to Faith Refresh where we take another look at the Bible passages, beliefs, and other church stuff you've probably heard a million times and find something fresh. Hello, welcome back to Faith Refresh, episode 11. My name is Anson, alongside Chaplain Justin. Howdy. We've got a beautiful day outside. Oh, yes. It's absolutely gorgeous, so we are hunkered down in a room with few windows (laughs) (laughs) talking about the Bible today. The darkness. (laughs) We've got a really great show topic, one that I'm very excited about tackling with you today, Justin, because over the course of our first 10 episodes, we've talked about specific Bible stories. Mm -hmm. But what we haven't done up to this point is actually talk about the Bible as in just the Bible, not specific (laughs) passages within the Bible, the Bible, but the Bible holistically, (laughs) the thing. Yeah. The book stepping back a little bit, taking a slightly wider angle view Mm -hmm. of what scripture is and what it means to us. I think there are certain aspects of scripture, even as Christians, that sometimes is relatively poorly understood. Some of these are very theological, like academic sounding concepts mm-hmm. that maybe people learn about in seminary. And occasionally the pastor throws out one of those words from the pulpit and we kind of right. go like, am I supposed to know what that <laughs> yeah. means or not? Can I get a definition? Right. Yeah. Or the inspiration of scripture or inerrancy yes. yep. or the I authority yep. of scripture or all these types of things. And and so I want to dive into a few of those questions. Okay. But where I want to start is actually with uh, something that this made me think about from when I was a kid. Okay. I remember reading a passage of scripture somewhere in the Old Testament. I'm guessing probably Genesis or Exodus. Mm-hmm. It was a story about the Israelites traveling around. This happens at several points within the narrative where we're told they stayed by a certain monument, mm-hmm. some sort of landmark, maybe that people of the day would recognize. And there's a verse in there, several times repeated, that basically says, and it is there to this day. Right. Now, little Anson, in about like third grade, yes. I had already been introduced to the concept of inerrancy, that scripture is perfect, right? That Without it's error. inspired by yeah. God. There's no errors in it. Mm-hmm. In fact, inspired by God, that might be a little too nuanced for third grade Anson. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of just had my imagination, like God just wrote the thing. Right. right? Yes. Like maybe yeah. with his finger, because mm-hmm. he's God and he doesn't need a pen. Right. Um, <laughs> God is perfect. Mm-hmm. So scripture is perfect. Mm-hmm. And this verse, I'm sitting here reading it today, and it says, this thing is there to this day. Right. And I had the thought, I want to go see that thing yes, then, yeah, because absolutely. it's there to this day. Uh-huh. And my interpretation of that verse was like, that is literally true for me right now mm, in right. 1994 or whenever this was, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? And not even realizing that I was making a, a very classic mistake 
mm-hmm. of assuming that just because we believe that scripture is without error, mm-hmm. that that means every word is true for me in my current context. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand that this was history. I didn't right. understand that Genesis is a creation narrative. I feel like that's just on a very basic level, mm-hmm. a small example of some of the confusion that can arise out of our understanding of scripture. So I want to start our conversation today with some basic bullet points okay. about scripture. Okay, yeah. I already kind of spoiled this when I said third grade Anson was like, where did the Bible come from? Mm-hmm. Right? God obviously was in instrumental in its forming, but I didn't know exactly what that meant. So my basic understanding, I think when I was very little was like, God wrote the Bible, maybe directly even. Mm -hmm. And then as I grew, I I learned like, okay, no, there actually are different authors for different books. And then maybe God inspired them. You hear that word inspired a lot. Right. Right. But then I think it was probably even, probably not even until high school when it occurred to me of like, yeah, okay, but who all decided oh, that totally. these books are part yes. of the Bible? And It'd how be a did big that stumbling all happen? Yeah. That, was, that was a big thing that like I had never really learned mm-hmm. about that. This is sounds so basic, but it's like really big. Who wrote the thing? Yeah, you know, like right. who wrote the Bible? Yeah, I think ultimately if we look at the doctrine of revelation, like God has revealed himself in the whole universe, creation, but also in scripture and ultimately the word became flesh dwelt among us in Jesus. That's the incarnation. Mm-hmm. So God has revealed himself, but the scripture part, the belief is that it is inspired by God. And that word inspired is God breathed. So it's not inspiration like, oh, that's a good idea, or yeah. I'm moved to write my own ideas about God. And Second Peter, the Apostle Peter is really specific about that, it did not come from men's wisdom, but mm-hmm. came from God. Mm-hmm as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, is the way that he words it. That phrase, carried along, is the same kind of phrase that you would think of wind in the sails. They are carried along Mm. by the Holy Spirit. So these authors in Scripture, the Bible is basically claiming that essentially God moved almost like wind in the sails of all these authors of Scripture in a way that he collaborated with them. One theologian said he superintended Mm -hmm. the process. You think of a superintendent at a a school, Mm -hmm. you know, like their leadership role in moving the school forward and all the policies and different things like that. So all these different authors share something in common, which is God. (laughs) So he wrote the Bible, and these other authors also wrote the Bible in a time and place for a specific purpose. So to try to get at what God intends for what he's speaking in these different books in the Bible, we get into the authors themselves, the human authors, to gain more insight about what was going on. How was God inspiring them in in these words in this moment in a way that's not just any other words, but their scripture, which is a huge claim to be sure. Right. Because from a very like humanistic perspective, we know like just from an evidence-based approach that like certain men wrote certain books at certain times, other books, we don't even know for sure who wrote which books Mm -hmm. and at which times. And so am I really supposed to believe these old dudes from a few thousand years ago, they wrote this book because God literally carried them along to Mm -hmm. it? That is a big claim and we shouldn't gloss over the significance of that. I think to uh, someone in our context, kind of a modern, the scientific age, holding claims to a different standard, mm. and namely an empirical standard, yeah. 
which measures truth or fact only by direct experience via the scientific method or some other very controlled methodology. Theological claims don't really fit into that. (laughs) Yeah, it's how do I prove that that's true? That's a hard thing to do. And so when you ask the question, are you expecting me to believe? It's just like, yeah, I would recommend it. (laughs) Like, I really, like, just on Facebook, I would. You believe it. Yes, I believe it, and let's talk about it, you know? Because I'm not dismissing or discounting the question. I want to affirm it. There are good reasons for that. We might touch on some of those as we go, but... For me, there's no other book like this. Where else could it come from? Whenever I read scripture and these different authors like Paul or Peter or Isaiah or whatever, I do not see people who are unreasonable, Mm. disconnected from reality. In fact, they're more connected to reality, more connected to not only God, but also people and what's going on and on a massive scale like isaiah the different things that prophesies like bold claims that says this nation is going to fall like the world power of the day Mm -hmm. is going to fall and this other one is going to come and the specific name of the king is this (laughs) and it happens it happens 150 years later the irony is like yes i take it at face value like i really do but then i ask questions some of those questions are even kind of scientific like what i just said yeah That's either true or false. It can either be verified or not to the best of our ability. And I would actually find more and more and more reasons to believe it. So that's why I feel comfortable, say, did God inspire this? Yeah. Next question. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's an important note to make, I think maybe before we proceed, that like Mm -hmm. there at many times have been churches or spiritual leaders or movements within Christianity that have discouraged some of that questioning and some of that active investigation Mm -hmm. into the claims of scripture. That could be the case for a variety of different reasons. But I think one of those potential reasons is, hey, the more we look into this, the more we investigate, perhaps the greater potential for us to find something that doesn't line up or that doesn't make sense, you know, some scientific discovery that doesn't line up with what scripture says. And we don't want to come across some evidence of a falsehood in scripture. That we don't know what to do with. I don't know what to do with that. And it it kind of breaks down my whole Mm -hmm. worldview, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's easier to just say, you know what? I just blindly trust and believe. I don't want to hear all that Mm -hmm. science stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think it's also worth noting that there have been a number of people throughout church history, both in ancient times and Mm -hmm. contemporary times, who have done these studies, some of them Mm -hmm. very empirically focused, who have investigated historical claims or physical locations Mm -hmm. or dates and have come away from those investigations saying, hey, I think there's something to this. I I think what I have read in scripture is actually reflected Mm -hmm. in this additional study or it's corroborated by other witnesses Mm -hmm. or or so on. So you obviously have people on both sides who have said, I think this lines up or I think it doesn't, Mm -hmm. but it's not unheard of that someone does that work and says, I think there's something to this. And to that end, I think we want to, on the show, the very point of the show really is to provide an encouragement to be able to ask those questions. It's worth asking these questions. It's worth bringing our doubts to the Mm -hmm. table and talking them through because stuffing it all down and going, I'm sure this is fine (laughs) without actually taking a closer look at Mm -hmm. any of it. Obviously, there's a lot of talk of faith in scripture and faith is very important Mm -hmm. to us, but we're not asked to believe in faith in the sense that we also abandon all ability to reason or look at evidence Mm -hmm. or evaluate facts 
right? Yeah, we can't read without reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and God created reason, yeah. you know? He, he formed us in, in his image in that way, along with emotions and a will to choose, mm. all those different things. And just to underscore what you're saying is these theological words or Bible verses mm. should not be used to silence people and questions, rather than saying, oh, that's a good question, let's talk about it. Yeah. Too few people have had that kind of generous, hospitable response to their questions. Too often it is being shut down, which is saying a couple things, like one, maybe it's not safe to question, and two, the thing that we notice is, what are they hiding? There's something going on and because you don't know the answer to that question, it's like, so what are they scared of? Which can cast that seed of doubt as well, rather than let's talk about it and let's go there. If someone really does believe in the inspiration of Scripture, right now I do yeah. <laughs> at this moment, what do I have to be fearful of? God's going to reveal himself. That's right. what he does, right. you know, and so let's check it out. Yeah. And in the very back of my mind, if I am wrong, you know what? I'd want to know that too. Yes. Right? Wouldn't yeah. we? Yeah. <laughs> we want to know the truth. Yeah. Right? Uh, <laughs> We're not interested in lying to ourselves. Right. We've already talked a little bit about inspiration. Uh-huh. I want to talk about another word that we've got on our sheet here, mm-hmm. and that is revelation. Yes. My understanding, layman's terms of what this means, we believe that God reveals himself mm-hmm. to us mm-hmm. through scripture. Yes. Can you break that down a little mm-hmm. bit? What exactly does that mean and how does scripture accomplish that? In my finite self, if I were to do an empirical study about God, if he exists or not, I would come up short. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so what would come up is really my own ideas or conceptualizations or that of my culture and community that are essentially trying to like build a ladder up to heaven and figure this out. That's what the story of the Tower of Babel is about. Philosophically, I think the best that you can do if you really take philosophy seriously is the agnostic position. Mm-hmm. Could be or it could not be. Yeah. Christianity would come to that and say, no, God has revealed himself to us. He's able to do that. We're Mm -hmm. not able to get to him, but he could show who he is to us. How has he done that? Mm -hmm. Well, he's made everything. All of creation shows us that, and that's one of the many reasons why something like scientific exploration is so important. It's like you're unfolding who God is through the revelation of creation. Yeah. And then he's spoken words through inspiring different authors at different times over millennia to show a clear, creative, redemptive storyline of what he's doing in human history, with the centerpiece being Christ. So, yeah, he's shown himself. Another way to say it would be like, hi, my name's Justin. (laughs) That's how the relationship gets started, and that's what God's done with all of humanity. Let's talk about inerrancy for a moment. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like that one's a big one. That's a huge one, yeah. And one of the things we should note, I think, as we talk about this one, is that this is not necessarily like a universally agreed upon concept about Scripture. Mm -hmm. Generally, most Orthodox Christians would say they believe in the truthfulness of Scripture, Mm -hmm. but there can be, and some people do draw distinctions between scripture tells the truth versus it's inerrant to be completely without error is maybe a different standard to hold it to than Mm -hmm. some other people may apply to it. But certainly there are a lot of people who would say scripture is inerrant as well. Mm -hmm. I'll just play the devil's advocate for a moment because I think probably most of us have had this thought at some point or another. 
And maybe it's brought on by people saying, hey, here's a contradiction in scripture mm-hmm. and kind of trying to point out those flaws. Maybe it's something that we've come across in our own personal study. And we go like, I'm not quite sure how these two things line up and they don't seem to make a mm-hmm. lot of sense. Inerrancy is quite a high bar. Oh, yeah. It's a really, mm-hmm. really high bar. And so when we start hearing these things and we start seeing potential contradictions Mm -hmm. or discrepancies, it's understandable that we might have doubts about that claim. Yes. So I guess the devil's advocate question would be, it almost seems like when there is a discrepancy or an error pointed out, like Christians always have some excuse for it. Yes. Right. Like, well, it was inerrant in its original translation, which we don't have anymore. Mm -hmm. And so it's probably like a translation issue that's caused this or, well, you're just looking at it the wrong way. And if you, in fact, interpret this passage of scripture in this completely different way that you would never have thought of, it makes total sense. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I can see how for some people it could get very easy to get skeptical of some of those claims of Mm -hmm. like, we're holding on to inerrancy like so tightly in the face of these assertions to the contrary Mm -hmm. that it could potentially harm our credibility in some cases, at least in some people's eyes. Yeah. So I'm curious for your take on this concept. What is the like general like acceptance of this concept Mm -hmm. within Christianity? Mm -hmm. How prevalent is this idea? Do you hold to that? And Mm, if so, like what do you say or do kind of in response to these claims of Mm -hmm. errors or contradictions? How do you, how do you deal with those? These are all very easy things. I know. And if you could do that in about (laughs) five minutes, that would be great. simple. (laughs) Oh gosh. The first thing you said is like, I think it's important to say there are a lot of specific theological positions you don't have to hold them to be an Orthodox Christian. And when we say Orthodox, can we define that term? Yeah, I would say you're dealing with the Apostles' Creed. Typically, it's kind of defined as like the basic building blocks of Christianity. The non-negotiable doctrines uh, of the faith. And so there's a lot outside the Nicene Creed. There's a lot of wiggle room outside of that. Apostles' Creed. Wow. It really Um, is truly the basics. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think that should be very comforting and also make us very hospitable to one another. Mm. Inerrancy, surely, is one of those parts. And yet, just like anything else can get pretty heated (laughs) to the point of like you're doubting someone's salvation if they don't hold to it. I want to be careful about that. One thing I would say that might be a a good clarification, you know how inspiration, we just said, revelation, inspiration are both theological statements? So is inerrancy. Mm. To believe in inerrancy, and I went to a very, like about as conservative seminary you can in the United States, <laughs> mm-hmm. okay? Even in that place, in that training, to believe in inerrancy, it is a theological argument. It has to be. It comes from the top down. If it is from God, it is without error. You cannot, with intellectual integrity, I don't think, argue inerrancy from the ground up, mm. which is from the manuscripts that we have and all that all the way up to God being without error yeah. in his scripture. Mm. A doctrine of inerrancy would include the statement in the original manuscripts. And we don't have any of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, from my personal you know, position, when I, I think about scripture, God's revealing himself, introducing himself. I'm so grateful for that. It's inspired. Like I, I can see it. it. It came from God through people. Yeah, it's without error, like in the original writings, surely. And there's a super, I mean, talk about scientific academic discipline is uh, biblical criticism, which deals only with these manuscripts and putting them together and basically trying to reconstruct as close as we can to the original manuscripts. 
anyone could Google and look into biblical criticism and I think would be blown away by the precision of it, just how many and how accurate the manuscripts are and kind of the, the science and exploration behind that. We're in the 99th percentile of being able to construct these manuscripts um, and have, have them overlap in different things and, and create something that uh, biblical critics really feel confident about. And yet, to have less than 100% would mean <laughs> there's some variance, right. and there is. And a good study Bible will show you where that is. It's like, it might be this, it might be this. This manuscript says this, this other one says this. This one's older, mm-hmm. so we tend to believe this, but it also says this over here, which is reliable. But that doesn't mean it's an error. And it doesn't mean, as you read the sentence within the paragraph, that it's untruthful. As false. It can be truthful and there be variance. Mm. You could realize that and still claim inerrancy if you're like, it came from God and I'm I'm sold on that. And whenever he did it, whatever those original manuscripts look like, that was without error. And we're trying to piece that together the best we, we can from our perspective. Yeah, I think those are some really good clarifications. And even there, you're still talking about manuscripts and... Oh, yeah. And like, There's a that, lot. We're not even getting into matters of interpretation, really, which like... Yes. <laughs> you talk about... like Ancient languages. Right. Yeah. It's one thing to have the manuscript. It's mm-hmm. another thing to be able to understand it and translate it Man. and do all of that accurately. So, and And that's something like... Can we just stand back and have some humility? You think of someone who's devoted their lives to ancient languages and texts and manuscripts and pieces. I don't have any knowledge or like tools to do that. And so don't we rely on other experts Mm. in so many Mm. other areas? Of course we do. And so I I would want to lean humbly on those experts in these different areas, Um, just like I would a doctor prescribing a a medication that I need. Yeah. Let's talk prophecy. Oh, yes. Let's do it. There's a lot of prophecies in scripture. Yes. I think most people know this, at least in a vague, overarching sense. From, again, kind of a cynical or skeptical position, maybe someone who like grew up in the church and now is kind of going, okay, yeah, I was taught like there's all these prophecies in scripture that have been fulfilled. I get that. But like, for example, scriptures that were fulfilled about Jesus, right? Yes. Well, didn't he, didn't he know all of those prophecies? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So wasn't he purposefully trying to fulfill them? In Mm -hmm. fact, like spoiler, there's actually some references in the gospels where it literally says, because it was written this, he did this, right? right. So yeah, he kind of did to Mm -hmm. answer my own question there. Mm -hmm. But even further than that, didn't all of these writers who were writing the gospel stories, and especially in the New Testament, didn't they have motive to tell the story in such a way that would prove these Old Testament prophecies true. Yes, yeah. So there's there's all of these kind of skeptical questions about when were these prophecies made and when were they fulfilled and could some of it be filled in after the fact and make it look like that prophecies were fulfilled later mm-hmm. when they weren't actually in it. You know, we can make all sorts of claims and people do make all sorts of claims about prophecies and when they were made and when they were fulfilled mm-hmm. and all of these questions. It honestly seems kind of overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that is because biblical prophecy is such a, I mean, you could study just that for forever. It feels like lots of people have yeah, yeah. (laughs) their Um, whole lives. There's so much in there that it's hard to feel like you have much of a grasp of the scope of it. So what do you make of biblical prophecy and what we can take away in terms of the reliability of scripture Mm -hmm. from 
prophecy. Yeah, this quote-unquote scientific exploration, you know, like if we take that, we're going to more empirically kind of go through something. Well, Revelation's really theological, you know, claim. Inspiration's very uh, theological. So is inerrancy. Yeah. Even though we start getting into, like, the manuscripts— and we could start getting into some empirical evidence. Aristotle's Poetics, we have five manuscripts, <laughs> and we know Aristotle wrote it. Mm. Our oldest manuscript is 1,400 years after Aristotle. But because of textual criticism, we can trace it back. Well, the Bible has 25,000 manuscripts, <laughs> 6,000 dating close to around the first century, translated from ancient Greek, essentially. You start kind of getting your hands. It becomes more tangible if you get into it. Now, yeah. prophecy is a whole nother level because the Bible makes a prediction of something huge. Say the fall of Nineveh, really specific, by Nahum. Mm. Twelve prophecies, very specific prophecies. And you could go to that and say, true or false, Bible? Tell me. Cough it up. Mm. True or false? <laughs> and <laughs> the Bible makes all kinds of prophetic claims like that, predicts things. And if you go down like Nahum, for instance, 12 prophecies, line by line, very specific, from external sources to the Bible, fulfilled. Every single one. If we take that, it's just like, huh, how many more of these? Well, there's a lot. You know, <laughs> There's a variance in, in terms of how different theologians have numbered right. um, the messianic prophecies. Some would say, no, it has to be really specific. Maybe it's 30-something. Others would include every illusion possible until they get over 300 or whatever. A good median number is just over 100. You you could look at those prophecies in Jesus' life, the Gospels, uh, according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and say, wow, 109 prophecies have been fulfilled. But some of those were prophesied hundreds of years before the likelihood of that happening for 48 prophecies, a, a mathematician, I think his name was Peter Stoner from the 1950s, Westmont College back in the day, said, I'm just going to calculate 48 prophecies, and it's a 1 in 10 to the 157th power. <laughs> <laughs> and his illustration is like, if you count this many electrons, uh-huh. it would take 19 million years or whatever, yeah. and then you put a mark on one of those electrons and pick it out, and that's the likelihood. Yeah. But the thing is, it's not 48, it's 109 prophecies if you Mm. take the median. It's just astronomical. Now, one that's really compelling to me is really specific. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. That's one of those things, well, Jesus told him to get the donkey, and it said he did this to fulfill Scripture. But the thing is, is like, according to Daniel, from the time he prophesied spans 483 years. (laughs) Specifically, he said this would happen. And it happened to the day. You get March 5th, 444 BC, that's Daniel writing this prophecy, and 483 years after that to the day, 173,880 days <laughs> to March 30th, AD 33, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the donkey. The Pharisees, scribes and Pharisees are saying, hey, quiet down these people, you're not the Messiah, essentially. And he said to them, If you knew the significance of this day, you would say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus meant (laughs) this day. Uh. And there is no book, period, that is like this. There is no ancient text that compares in the slightest. 
And we're just talking a, a few of yeah. these prophecies, which, you know, this mathematician says if, you know, eight of these prophecies fulfill one in 10 to the 17th power or 157 <laughs> yeah, if it's 40. Yeah. Well, we're way outnumbering that. Right. And so statistically, the numbers mathematically and historically tracing these things back is pretty empirically uh, compelling. stunning, yeah. compelling. Yeah. And I don't think I would want anyone or think that anyone would just easily dismiss that. Isaiah, the fall of Babylon and the rise of Persia. And then he says, Cyrus names the emperor from Persia that's going to topple over Babylon. And he does this 150 years mm. before it happened, names the guy, and Isaiah is long dead. <laughs> right. And it happens, and it's like, this is either true or false. It is kind of getting a little little weird, <laughs> a little spooky, <laughs> yeah, at least, you know, fair. if not persuasive yes. and compelling. It's compelling to me, I'll yeah. say that. Yeah. We could probably spend an entire season of podcast episodes just on prophecy. There's one more word that I wanted to get to before we wrap up for today. And that is this word authority. Yeah. The authority of scripture. That's something that you probably hear Christians or pastors talk about from time to time. Yeah. And this one is particularly interesting because maybe the word inerrancy generates a little bit of skepticism in Mm -hmm. us, right? Maybe prophecy, we have a little bit of some cynicism of like, yeah, did that really happen? Does all that math and all that stuff that we're just talking about really play out that way? Authority feels a little more personal to me. Oh, totally. Of like, okay, now we're not just talking from an academic theoretical perspective is their credibility to this book. When we say authority, now we're talking about application. We're saying this book actually means something to me today, and it is going to alter the way that I think and live my -hmm. life, right? That suddenly is very personal. Why do I want to let a book written by a bunch of long dead guys rule over my life. Why Mm -hmm. should I think about all the progress that we've made, even just in the last couple of decades, the last century, right? Scientifically, (laughs) rationally, in terms of technology. And instead of letting that guide me, I'm going to go back to an ancient book. Like I said, again, written by a bunch of dead guys. Like, why do I want to allow this book to have authority over me? And what authority does scripture assert in and of itself that it has? Mm -hmm. Like, is this, does scripture say that it's authoritative and we have to listen to it? Can I pick out the good parts that I like and discard the parts that I don't? Mm -hmm. Uh, What do we do with this word authority? Because it, it feels like this is the one that could really kind of, uh, Cramp our style a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't like it. You know, that's it's a the harder truth of word. It. Yeah. Is it not? So I think of the kind of who are you to tell me what to do? Yeah. Like that is very common. The common cultural refrain is like, no one knows what's best for you except outside you. of you. Right. Right. Follow your heart. Yeah. That's you kind of our, our credo, right? Yeah. This flies in the face of our contemporary culture. Mm. To me, it's just like, well, I want to take another look at it. The power dynamic maybe is, is one thing. Uh, who gets to choose? Who gets to lead this life is a question. But the other thing you mentioned, it reminded me of Christopher Hitchens. The late atheist would debate religion and stuff like that. He said, one time, why would I care about the superstitions of some uneducated peasants in some desert? <laughs> yeah. Oh. And it's like, okay. okay. Uh, and he's like, and the floor is yours. You know, yeah. like 
but that's part of this the sense you know we've grown up we've grown out of this haven't we yeah now here's the deal if i think about my little boys you're not the boss of me and i'm like how are you doing at that job by the way (laughs) (laughs) how am i doing at being the boss of me how does that go really Mm -hmm. like can we just look in the mirror and say i want to be honest and say am i super great at being the boss of me Mm. Or do I need some help? Because that's the the irony is kind of our current cultural moment is we want people to ask for help. Say mental health, yeah. right? Ask for help. Well, guess what? If we need help, we need guidance. Yeah. We need someone to lead us, to mm. cultivate, you know. And so we are already submitting to the help of someone else. There's a tension even in our cultural moment. We can't quite have it both ways, can yeah, we? Yeah, yeah. I'll say for me, I need someone to teach me. By the way, did I come onto this planet fully formed? Or have I been taught a few things to get to where I am? Right, yes. (laughs) You know, was I a toddler just like, I can do some mathematics, you know? It's like, no, we've been taught. We have been helped. We have been poured into by so many. Let's take a deep breath. What about God? What say does he have in this matter? Mm. I think it would be worth actually listening and hearing him out. Mm. Maybe he's got some good ideas. Maybe, you know, in this area or this area, I would be better off for just listening to him and following his lead. Authority gets a bad rap. Yes. Sure. But without it, where would we be? Yeah. And one thing I would say to someone who is skeptical, especially someone even like me, who has been wounded by spiritual authorities throughout their life in different ways, look at what scripture says about false teachers and illegitimate spiritual leaders. Mm. You will come away from that saying amen, (laughs) even if you're an atheist at this point. You you will say, yes, that is right. This should not stand. This Mm. is how we know that someone is a a wolf instead of a shepherd, for Mm. instance. Mm. And it does take sometimes not only scripture, but someone who embodies or reflects that kind of guiding heart to us in real life that might help our trust warm up a bit. All right, we've tackled revelation, inspiration, inerrancy, prophecy, authority. Yeah. Final question. Yes. So what? So what? <laughs> Not this again. Oh I always ask goodness. this at the end of the podcast, right? Yeah, this right? is good. Yeah. No, I mean, again, for two guys sitting in a room on a nice day outside discussing mm-hmm. theology, maybe right. this gets you all excited and gets you going. And if you're one of those kind of theology nerds like we are, mm-hmm. more power to you. We yeah. love you. That's awesome. Yeah. Not everybody's that way. Yeah. Some people might hear all of these fancy schmancy words mm-hmm. and go, okay, right. and shrug their shoulders. Mm-hmm. What difference does all of this make? Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, you know, I think of inspiration, for instance. The scripture is God-breathed. Another time he does that is he takes the dust from the earth and breathes into it and becomes a living soul. And that's Adam and Eve. Mm. That's the creation of humanity. If inspiration is true, then we come to scripture This is the breath of God that makes me a living soul. It's profound. That remakes me a living soul. Mm. And again, that's either true or false, but that position might really nurture our faith and our souls in a much different way than thinking it's a book with ink and pages. And some good ideas. Some good ideas. Yeah. 
and a lot of it makes me angry. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. But uh, kind of forces us to reckon with it, right? Yeah, like you said, it's either true or false. Yeah, and there's a lot riding on that. Mm-hmm. And my hope would be to have that experience of reading a psalm, and all of a sudden you feel different. Mm. Something has happened where you have strength that you didn't have before. That is the inspiration of Scripture in action. That could actually help us in our reading of the Bible. And then also Revelation, we talked about that, like, hi, my name's Jesus. What's your name? Oh, I didn't know your name. I knew you before the foundation of the world. You know, you get in this listening and responding conversation. So maybe opening up Scripture, you have the, the life breath of God coming into you, and maybe he's talking and you can listen and respond, including your questions. God, I don't know what to do with this. You got to show me how to make sense of this because I don't, I don't know. Mm. Bring someone to mind that maybe I could ask. It's an ongoing conversation with a personal God. Sometimes we miss that. We're studying a book and there's a place for that. Yeah. But in terms of the life of faith, we are receiving the life breath of God and we are in conversation. He's speaking and we're responding through scripture. Thanks for listening to Faith Refresh. You can find more Real FM pods and tons of other cool stuff on the Real FM app and at real.fm. Faith Refresh is hosted by Justin Rusinowski, and I'm Anson Beyer. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review on your platform of choice. It will help others to discover the podcast and listen for themselves. Faith Refresh is a part of the Real FM Podcast Network, a ministry of John Brown University.